0: Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android.
1: CBS News face the nation in 60 seconds. Hello, I'd like to deposit this to checking. Fate is a fickle master. What? The future is uncertain. Okay, and what's my account balance? Ah, the horizon is cloudy. I see a long, treacherous voyage Um, filled with great peril. Look, can I just get a
2: deposit slip or something?
3: A fortune bank teller. Surprising. What's not surprising? How much you could save by switching to Geico.
0: I see a yellow-eyed serpent. And a low APR.
4: Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.
5: Today on Face the Nation, the Trump White House winds up another week filled with turmoil, chaos, and confusion on controversial policies and embattled personnel. Once bitter campaign rivals, South Carolina Republican Lindsey Graham is now a Trump ally. What does he think of the upheaval? We'll ask him. West Virginia Democrat Joe Manchin is a moderate from a red state and he's trying to work with the president on new gun control laws. He'll be with us. White House Trade Policy Advisor Peter Navarro will explain how the president's surprise steel and aluminum tariffs will impact our economy and trade with foreign countries. Plus, Andrew Pollack, the father of one of the 14 students killed in the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas high school shooting, made an emotional plea at the White House last month. And I'm pissed because my daughter I'm not going to see again. She's not here. Are the politicians listening? We'll hear what he thinks. CBS News correspondent Seth Doan will take us inside Syria for a closer look at the Assad regime's brutal attacks on a rebel-held area outside Damascus. We'll also have plenty of analysis on all the news ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. I'm Margaret Brennan. The Trump administration has seen turbulent weeks before, but this one left Washington reeling. On the policy front, the president endorsed positions on gun control that appeared to be more in step with Democrats confusing Republicans and the NRA. In a freewheeling televised meeting with lawmakers, he suggested that when it came to potential threats...
6: Take the guns first, go through due
7: process second.
5: ...that would be unconstitutional. He endorsed a bill tightening background checks at gun shows proposed by Pennsylvania Republican Pat Toomey and Democrat Joe Manchin and demanded to know why it didn't include raising the purchase age for some weapons to 21. We
4: didn't address it as president. I think why? We because you're afraid of the
6: NRA, right? Oh.
5: <laughs> the president insisted he wasn't afraid of the NRA, but after meeting with their top lobbyists, the White House signaled he backed off, and the NRA said he agreed with them. Republicans downplayed the president's evolving positions.
0: Well, you may have noticed that uh, interesting reality TV show at the White House.
5: But the president had another surprise policy announcement, this one also supported by some Democrats.
6: We'll be imposing tariffs on steel imports and tariffs on aluminum imports. It'll be 25% for steel. It'll be 10% for aluminum.
5: Republicans weren't the only ones unhappy with that. The stock market dropped 500 points. U.S. trading partners were furious, and even the Wall Street Journal called it the biggest policy blunder of his presidency. The president responded in a tweet that trade wars are good and easy to win. He later threatened to tax European car imports. On the personnel front, President Trump publicly blasted Attorney General Jeff Sessions again, and new press reports revived an old rumor that National Security Advisor H.R. McMaster was on his way out. Following a day of questioning by lawmakers investigating Russian collusion, the president's longest-serving aide, Hope Hicks, announced her departure from the West Wing. Jared Kushner's security clearance was downgraded as the FBI continues to look into his business dealings. And on Friday, the New York Times reported that the president has privately asked White House Chief of Staff Kelly for his help in moving them, meaning Jared and Ivanka, out. Kelly also had a rough week, admitting to reporters he had not properly handled the security clearance issue, and Kelly aggravated the president when he joked at a celebration for his former department.
8: The last thing I wanted to do was walk away from one of the great uh, honors of my life, being the Secretary of Homeland Security. Uh, but I did something wrong, and God punished me, I guess. I mean.
5: <laughs> at an off-camera press dinner last night, the president made light of the chaos, joking that it's been another calm week at the White House, and it's finally running like a fine-tuned machine. With that, we begin this morning with South Carolina Republican Senator Lindsey Graham. He joins us from <laughs> Clemson, South Carolina. You've got to I-
9: be kidding me. <laughs> <laughs>
5: Well, Senator, where where do we begin here? Do, do you have a message to the president after this week?
9: Uh, yes. Uh, as to guns, you have an obligation to give us a package to consider regarding school safety and guns. You did a good job talking in front of the country about the problem. Let's come up with solutions that are bipartisan. Propose something, Mr. President, and I think Republicans have an obligation to work with Democrats to make it law if we can. So that's guns. On trade, you correctly identified the problem of China dumping steel throughout the world to destroy the American steel industry. Your solution is let China off the hook. It's only going to hurt American consumers and our allies. Please reconsider your solution.
5: Well, sir, on the issue of uh, (laughs) personnel confusion and some policy confusion that you referred to there. Can't
9: help you on the personnel front.
5: (laughs) Well, do you still have faith in Chief of Staff John Kelly? And now there are rumors once again about the fate of the National Security Advisor, H.R. McMaster. Are you confident in him?
9: I'm very confident in H.R. McMaster. I think he's learned as much about the war on terror from fighting it that anybody that I know, I think he's really smart on North Korea and Iran. I hope the president will keep him around, but it's up to the president. He can fire anybody he likes, but I have a lot of confidence in General McMaster, and John Kelly to me has created... uh, order out of chaos initially is kind of backsliding now, but I think John Kelly is the right guy to continue to help the president organize his agenda, have a lot of faith and trust in John Kelly. I hope he stays.
5: You just came back from the Middle East. Uh, Given the concerns about Jared Kushner's security clearance Mm -hmm. level being downgraded, do you still think that he can possibly lead this Middle East peace policy push without a full security clearance?
9: The last thing on my my mind right now is the peace process. We're about to have a war between Israel and Hezbollah in southern Lebanon. Iran is winning and we are losing, so I went to Israel and Jordan. The king of Jordan is under siege because we have no policy as the United States regarding the Russian-Iranian axis. Southern Lebanon is a rocket launching site against Israel. They're developing precision-guided weapons, so I would focus on containing Iran rather than pushing a peace process that's broken. If we don't come up with a strategy against Iran, we're going to make Israel go to war here pretty soon with the Hezbollah elements in southern Lebanon.
5: Well, you're referring there, though, to the outgrowth of the war in Syria. The president was very clear we're there just to get rid of ISIS and get out. Does he need to reconsider that policy? How do you fix the problem you identified?
9: Well, he said he did not want to turn uh, uh, Syria over to Iran. We don't have a strategy to contain Iran. They're about to take over Damascus. He's done a good job fighting ISIL, but Iran is now dominating the Middle East. Hezbollah elements being supplied by Iran have over 100,000 missiles pointed uh, at Israel. The King of Jordan has suffered mightily from the Syrian civil war. If we don't push Iran out and come up with an agreement in Geneva that gives Syria back to the Syrians, this war never ends. So, Mr. President, it's just not about uh, defeating ISIL. If you leave Syria in the hands of Russia uh, and the Iranians, this war never ends, and our friends in Israel are in a world are hurt.
5: Do you know where the President's red line is on chemical weapons, which the Assad regime continues to use?
9: I thought I did, but I don't any longer. Clearly, uh, he did use chemical weapons yet again uh... what i would like to see is a no-fly zone inside of syria where people could go back to Syria from the surrounding neighborhood, and we would train Syrian Democratic forces to take Assad on and tell the Russians and the Iranians, if you bomb these people, you do so at your own peril and try to level out the chaos uh, in Syria, go to Geneva to get a, a peace agreement. You'll never get an agreement in Geneva as long as Assad's winning on the battlefield. Our policy in Syria is a complete mess. We're AWOL when it comes to containing Russia and Iran and Syria, and that's a real threat to the region.
5: I want to get back to what you referred to there uh, in regard to the president's surprise announcement on trade tariffs on <laughs> steel and aluminum. Uh, you know, BMW is, has its largest yeah. plant in the world in your home state, and right. now the president's talking about uh, putting taxes on European cars. Right. Uh, what are you going to tell the president to do about this? Are you calling for a full reversal?
9: Uh, bad idea. You need. Here's what I would tell the president. The reason our steel industry has been decimated is because of China dumping. China produces more steel than the world consumes for several years in a row. China's your problem, Mr. President. Taxing European car imports hurts BMW because they can do the same thing to us. BMW makes more cars in Greenville, South Carolina than any plant in the entire BMW family. Volkswagen's come to South Carolina. We got a steel plant in South Carolina. We got, we make more tires than any place in the United States. 32% of the tires exported from the United States comes from South Carolina. This tariff on steel is going to hurt them. So you want want the president
5: to revise this to be more targeted specifically at Beijing and perhaps exempt certain countries?
9: You're letting China off the hook. China wins when we fight with Europe. China wins when the American consumer has higher prices because of tariffs that don't affect Chinese behavior. If you want to affect China, get back in the Trans-Pacific Partnership be present in Asia, hit them on intellectual property theft, hit them on currency manipulation, hit them about steel dumping. China is winning and we're losing with this tariff regime. You're letting China off the hook. You're punishing the American consumer and our allies. You're making a huge mistake here. Go after China, not the rest of the world.
5: On the issue of gun policy, you seem to think there was something possible to get done. I understand you're introducing a bill this week uh, regarding so-called red flag policies that would uh, allow authorities to seize guns before people commit violence. What kind of prospects do you see for this?
9: uh... really good prospects the president did a good job talking about we should be able to do something to stop shootings like this we tell our citizens if you see something say something well everybody saw something and everybody said something but the government did nothing so under this bill you could go to a federal judge law enforcement people could family members could and petition for a restraining order When you gotta make the case give due process this person's about to blow up here they're becoming mentally unstable create a system that would intervene. This guy was visited by the cops 30 times. Mm -hmm. People called the FBI. Nobody did a damn thing. So this bill would allow judges to take guns away from a guy like this before it's too late. I hope the president will get behind this because it worked in Indiana. And that's where we're modeling our law off the Indiana. Very
5: quickly, sir, do you have any idea if Republican leadership will take this to the floor? And it's a controversial issue in election year.
9: If we don't, we're going to get hurt because most Americans believe we should solve problems that Americans are facing, like gun violence and school safety problems. If we don't take this up and if Democrats don't work with us, we'll all suffer, and we should.
5: All right. Senator Lindsey Graham, thank you for joining us this morning from South Carolina. We turn now to Senator Joe Manchin. He is a Democrat from West Virginia, a state that gave candidate Donald Trump 68 percent of the vote and has the fourth highest gun ownership rate in the country. Senator, uh, welcome to the show. I know you you are trying Mm -hmm. to do something uh, on gun control. You were with the president this week. Do you have any idea what the vote count is on the bill you're putting forward? Well, first of all,
10: it's not gun control. It's gun sense. Uh, Pat Toomey and myself, uh, I introduced a bill in 2013 and Pat was my co-sponsor and we worked together on this. And we protected the Second Amendment rights. We protected law-abiding gun owners. All we did was go into the uh, loopholes of the gun shows uh, on the internet sales, commercial transactions when you don't know people, Mm -hmm. and make sure that we do that background check before you have that gun.
5: But that bill did not cross that 60-vote threshold back in 2013. Where are the votes now?
10: <clears throat> excuse me, if President Trump would have been president in 2013, that bill would have passed. You no think one, he's giving
5: the kind of leadership no, now that will well, allow I, I'm, your I'm, bill I'm, to pass?
10: I'm, I'm very hopeful. President Trump has said background checks is needed. This bill of ours, the Manchin-Toomey bill, should be the base bill he work off of. John Cornyn has a good fix-nicks. That was part of our bill. Let's incorporate those. But this makes gun sense. It makes common sense. It keeps it out of the hands of the wrong people. When the terrorists go on the website and said, if you want to do harm in America, go down to the gun show. Buy what you want. That's all we're saying, but you have to respect a law-abiding gun owner. They're not going to sell their gun to strangers or criminals or terrorists. Uh, They're going to do the right thing. But when you don't know them in a transactions commercial, you should make sure that you have a background check. That's all we've said. So I think we can, with the president, and he can set his legacy, President Trump coming forth to something like this and putting his support behind will give Republicans enough cover to support this in the most reasonable, responsible way.
5: But you don't have an explicit commitment yet from the president?
10: No, he sh- we had a great meeting on Wednesday, and I know the NRA said they had a great meeting on Thursday. So if we both had great meetings, can't we come to get a good, great result from those meetings and do something that's, that's supporting and protecting our children? And we have uh, school, we have to have school lockdowns, we have to have schools secured. That has to be done. Mental background, making sure the bill that Lindsay's talking about is very good. When people say something and they come forward, then we should act upon that.
5: The president uh, called out your your partner on this bill and said that Pat Toomey was afraid of the NRA because you didn't include an increase in the age limit for purchases of some weapons in this bill. Are you actually going to consider including that?
10: Oh, the age, it's a no-brainer.
5: You are going That's to revise your bill. But to I'm saying, it? but
10: again, it's going to take the president's support to put that into the bill to make sure we can get the votes to pass it. But you know, if is it's, that
5: why this, this provision isn't in there right now? The
10: provision was not in there. It was not brought up at that time. That's the only reason it wasn't. It wasn't said. It wasn't brought to our attention that that was a criteria that we should say, "Well, your handguns is 21, but long guns or the assault rifles are at 18." That wasn't considered. We were just trying to move the ball. For to say, listen, background checks just at uh, gun shows and, and on the Internet is, makes gun sense. It's common sense. Couldn't even get that. So when he said you, you didn't put that in there, it wasn't considered because it wasn't brought up to that level.
5: You're very specific in what you're proposing, but broadly speaking, are you concerned that this push among Democrats for more gun regulation could hurt your own personal prospects? Well, it'll
10: stop everything. Uh, th- I'm not going to take the guns away from any law abiding gun owner. I'm going to protect the Second Amendment rights, but we have to make sure that we're moving in a way that we can get something accomplished. How do you secure the schools? How do we make sure that the children? I said the only fear a child should have going to school in the morning. That they do their homework and they're ready for their math and English test. That's what they should be scared of. They shouldn't be scared of their safety. And we've got to make sure that we do that. Mental background. There's so many things that contribute to this. But to have an open system to where you can go to a gun show and go to a table Mm -hmm. that's not by a federal licensed dealer and buy whatever you want without anyone asking one question... Needs to be stopped.
5: I want to ask you about trade. Do you yeah. support the president's proposals? on I like where steel the president's nothing.
10: going on this. I really do. And I'm here, West Virginia. We're in West Virginia, Ravenswood, West Virginia. We've lost thousands and thousands of jobs.
5: So twenty-five uh, and ten percent tariffs. Well, I'm not. You're fine, I'm not, not going to particulars. Okay.
10: I I I think that at the end of the day we'll come to what's responsible. But if someone's charging West Virginia or charging United States of America twenty-five percent for us to send our goods to their to their uh, shores, and they're coming into our market at 5%, don't you think? It should be tit for tat. It should be basically equal. We're talking about fair trade. Free trade hasn't worked well for West Virginia. It so really has. We've lost thousands of jobs, and we're talking about a fairness to the system. And so, also,
5: concerns about trickle down costs, prices going up for your constituents, I, you dismiss that. That's
10: Wall Street talking. That's all Wall Street talking. I know exactly. And there's an old saying follow the money. That's what's talking here. The people at Main Street are saying, we got devastated, we got hurt, we've lost good jobs with benefits, we can't compete. When you have China producing 50% of the world's steel, you have the United States of America basically is consuming the largest importer of steel. Put the dots together, and Lindsay talked about that. Connect the dots. We've got to do something. But also we shouldn't punish our favored trading nations where we have surpluses with them and there's not a negative uh, trade, uh, you know, trade war.
5: I, I want to ask you, because you sit on sure. uh, the Intelligence Committee, uh, three dozen White House officials had their security clearances downgraded this week. Uh, does it concern you how the White House is handling classified What's a
10: serious consideration there. My goodness, yes, because I know sitting on the, just to give you an example, I sit on the Intel Committee. There's 15 of us that sit on the Intel Committee of the Senate. We can't even discuss with the other 85 senators what we talk about and what we understand and what we learn. That tells you how serious it is, the top secret information that, that we're able to have access to. This is very serious. I have faith in in, in, uh, in John Kelly that he'll get uh, this under control. It is of serious concern, and something has to be done. And we have to get those people in responsible positions with the clearance as quickly as we can. If there is a problem and you can't get through it, then they're going to have to make some decisions on who they want to have this information.
5: Senator Manchin? Thank you. It's for always good us to be with you. Set. Thank you. Appreciate it. And we'll be back in one minute to talk with one of the president's key trade advisors. So stay with us.
4: Don't have time to keep up with the news. Try the CBS News radio app on your iOS or Android device. You'll get the latest news as soon as you start it up. It's that easy. You can also listen to great programming like face the nation weekend roundup or the CBS evening news.
10: And good
3: evening. Wall Street today signaled its approval of the tax cuts passed by the Republican controlled Congress.
4: You can even download them straight to your phone and listen later. It's all on the CBS News radio app for iOS or Android. Download it today.
5: We're back now with the director of the Office of Trade and Manufacturing Policy, Peter Navarro. Peter, welcome to the show. The president made this announcement. It surprised the markets. It surprised many on Capitol Hill. 10 percent tariff on aluminum, 25 percent steel. For how long and are these rates negotiable?
8: Well, first of all, I'm surprised the anyone was surprised by this. This goes back to April when the President uh, directed the Secretary of Commerce to investigate what is a, a serious threat to our aluminum and steel industries. We've gone through uh, many, many meetings. The Secretary of Commerce came out with two reports in January. The President's been talking about this all the way back to the campaign trail.
5: But these rates, are these set in stone? Is the President going to sign on them this the,
8: week? Uh, okay, so the schedule is these are going through um, legal review, Office of Legal Counsel for form and Legality, We expect probably by the end of the week that uh, these will be signed. The president, at that Thursday meeting, which was a a beautiful event, and to give you context, this is a serious decision to make. The president wanted to make a measured decision, and so he brought in the executives from the steel and aluminum industries, went around the room, gave them the opportunity. Well, you know what happened. Mm -hmm. He asked them what they thought. They liked tariffs better than quotas. They wanted it across the board. Uh, and they wanted it open-ended so that would encourage maximum investment. And that's well, what the president it. came in at. You're
5: right. They, and, steel and, and aluminum CEOs love this. But those who use steel and aluminum in their products, car makers like Honda, like Ford, are already saying they're going to be increased cost to them, and they may pass those on to consumers. And this what is are a, your projections on that? Uh,
8: my projections is there's negligible to nothing effects. And let me just do a little numbers for you. Six-pack of beer or Coke, uh, <clears throat> aluminum, cent and a half uh, at the most in terms of costs, Go to the other end of the spectrum. One of the greatest planes ever made, the Boeing 777, $330 million aircraft, 10% tariff on aluminum raises the cost of that by $25,000.
5: Has Boeing given you that number, or is that your projection? We,
8: we, we calculated that. It's a good number. It's inside. It won't be challenged
5: And in terms of trickle-down to the consumer, you think some of these companies, if their costs go up, they're going to eat it. They're not going to pass it along to everyday Americans? And
8: that's a great point in and of itself. But even if they don't eat it, what I'm saying is these effects are second-order small. And, you know, I think the American people are willing to pay a cent and a half more for a six-pack of beer in order to have an aluminum steel industry. And I think this is the most important point about these two particular actions because they're different from a lot of things we're doing on trade. Mm -hmm. The president said correctly that we don't have a country unless we have an aluminum industry and the steel industry. I can tell you right now that aluminum is on life support. We've lost six smelters since 2013. We're down to five smelters. Only two of them are at full capacity. We're running at a 43 percent capacity rate, and we only have one that makes the high purity aluminum for our defense applications. But your
5: concern there is because of oversupply and dumping specifically by China. The president mentioned that last week. So why not target these sanctions towards, or excuse me, tariffs towards Beijing? Are you going to have exemptions or carve-outs for any countries like that, Canada.
8: That's not Korea. the way to look at this particular problem. The problem here is simply that imports are coming in and putting our aluminum companies out of business and our steel companies out of business. Since 2000, we've lost 75,000 steel workers and, and countless facilities. So, so
5: you don't so, want to target Beijing.
8: This is not a China problem. we got plenty of issues with China, and we have a 301 investigation where they're stealing our intellectual property, forcing the technology transfer. Uh, it's a China problem in, in that, as Senator Manchin said earlier, uh, China controls 55 percent of the aluminum market and about 50 percent of the steel market. Now, you go back to 2000 in aluminum, we were the largest aluminum producer Mm -hmm. in the world. Today we have 1.5% of the global market share. China's got 55%. What's wrong? Now, what what happens is when they overproduce, it puts pressure on the whole markets, but it's not a China problem. You can't get from here to Beijing and solve this problem, What you want to do for national security purposes. Why do this now,
5: right now? The economy and the markets are, things are going well for the Trump administration. Wouldn't that
8: be the best time to do that? This is the, this, and look, the president going back 20 years, has identified problems with the loss of our manufacturing and defense industrial base. That's what we're doing here. Okay. We need an aluminum industry and a steel industry. The president stood up against the swamp, and he's giving the people and what we And we will wait
5: to get those details later this week, Peter. Absolutely. Thank you. This past week, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas high school students returned to class. One of those students who was killed was Meadow Pollock, and her father, Andrew, is here with us, we are so sorry for the loss of your daughter, sir, uh, and I know that you've become active. You've been at the White House a number of times, including this week. What happened in that meeting today, or this week?
6: Well, first I just want to tell everyone in America that is passionate about school safety like I am to follow me on RememberMeadow.com, and they'd be able to help me in my cause at what what's, we're going to do moving forward to help every other state uh, move forward towards making their schools safe so I could be the last dad that ever had to bury a kid killed in a school.
5: You have spoken passionately about this um, and Americans heard that cry when you spoke to the president directly on camera. You right. went back to talk about school safety this week. Yes. Do you have any pledges from the White House to follow through on some of what you're talking about with school safety?
6: Well. I went twice to the White House within the last two weeks. The president and every one of his staff was very compassionate, having my family in, in the White House. He, he, what could you say to a, a murdered kid's father? You know, there's not much anyone's going to say that's going to make anything better for me. But he listened to things and suggestions that I had and what we're working on in Florida and, and that's my agenda, what we're going to move, we're going to move forward and fix these things. I, I'm not looking at any other type of agenda right now. And, and that's why I came here, because it's not really, I grew up, when I grew up in Long Island, I, my father instilled in me, if you wanted something done right, you do it yourself. So right now, I'm, I'm trying to do things my way and help not, I'm, not listening to, uh, it's, I'm not leaving it up to the president. I'm taking it in my hands and with a lot of people behind me, and we're going to focus on school safety, and, and that's one of the reasons I'm here today. I, I have a message that I'd like to get out.
5: And you're going and taking that message to Tallahassee, Florida, I understand, this week.
6: Yes. So one of the reasons why I'm here is because there's been 200 shootings already in this country, and there's a reason why it hasn't stopped because after every shooting, the media, they focus on gun control. Okay, gun control, that's a big problem. But I feel that if we all come together as parents, grandparents, uncles, and we just work on this, let's make our school safe, all the marchers that are going on, that are going to have in D.C., the kids. I understand the kids' pain. My kid was murdered in that school. So if anyone understands it, I understand every kid in that school, how angry they are. But I'm here now to, to talk to them, to say, let's focus on one thing first. Let's, let's get our schools safe. And then after every school's safe in the country, that you could drop your kid off and you don't have to worry that some murderer is going to go kill your kid on the third floor, we could, they could focus on any gun laws they want. I don't. But first... Let's come together. We could march right through this country. Who's going to stop us? Who doesn't want our kids safe? Mm -hmm. Stay focused. Stay focused, okay? I'm talking to you. Everyone out there, you reach out to me. Let's stay focused. Reach out to me. Reach out to my sons who buried their little sister a couple of weeks ago. Let them march with you in D.C. Let's get the right message across. Let's make these schools safe.
5: This week in your home state of Florida, uh, the state Senate rejected a proposal to ban assault weapons and supported the idea of arming teachers. Now, some of uh, the classmates of your daughter are among these activists. Yes. Um, One of them, Jacqueline Cornyn, tweeted, The Florida Senate has rejected the ban of AR-15s, the weapon of choice used at my school to kill 17 souls. This breaks my heart, but we will not let this ruin our movement. This is for the kids. What do you think your daughter Meadow would be doing in the wake of something like this?
6: That, that's the problem again. What, that's, they're focusing on something that's not achievable. Gun laws right now are not achievable. My daughter was murdered by a gun. She should have been safe in the school. That's the problem. So specific- okay, that's the first thing I want to address. I, I, I'm not saying don't go after gun laws. I'm not a gun expert. I'm saying that's the problem. We need. There was 200 shootings that's always getting twisted into gun laws and gun control. If we all focus together, one nation, no political affiliation, we could work together and, and make the school safe and then go fight it out, whatever you want.
5: So you want armed guards in school or more bullet-plated glass? What, what do well, you want to see?
6: I want to see what's in this Florida bill passed. That's what I'm for, and, and I'm going to go to Tallahassee, I'm leaving the Tallahassee tonight and I want Florida to set an example for the rest of the country because I went over the bill. I met with Governor Scott. Governor Scott came to my house like uh, twice already, came to the funeral, calls me on a daily basis to check up on me. He went, he went, he showed me this bill. People, the Speaker of the House went over the bill with me. And uh, we need to get the bill passed in Florida, and that's why when I leave here tonight, I'm on a mission. I'm going to Tallahassee, and and I'm going to make sure the bill passes, whatever I have to do.
5: All right. Mr. Pollack, thank you for coming on and sharing your story with us. We'll be right back with our panel.
4: Like what you're hearing? Get even more great content from CBS News Radio podcasts. Listen to TV broadcasts like CBS Evening News and Face the Nation On Demand. I'm John Dickerson. And don't miss The Takeout. A politics, policy, and pop culture podcast from CBS News Chief White House Correspondent Major Garrett. We have our first member of the Trump administration cabinet at our table, Mick Mulvaney. Where you ask the wrong people first. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Google Play.
5: And now to our panel for some analysis. Joining us is Susan Page, the Washington Bureau Chief of USA Today. Jeffrey Goldberg is the editor-in-chief of The Atlantic. Margaret Talib is the senior White House correspondent for Bloomberg. And Ed O'Keefe covers Congress for The Washington Post and is also a CBS News contributor. Uh, Susan, turbulent weeks at the White House before. How do you rate this one?
11: I think this has—we've uh, we've gotten accustomed to a level of chaos. It's been uh, untraditional. But I think this week was reached a new level and is raising new concerns about the operation of White House. I think what's different is, you know, we've had previous administrations that have had rough patches and hard starts. The Clinton administration had a very tough first year. But what's different this time is that things are not getting smoother, they're not working things out. Things, if anything, are getting more chaotic. And with the personnel changes we're seeing and the difficulty the president may have in getting experienced people to sign on, it may get worse, not better.
5: Now, what do you think is the single most sort of defining issue for the week? I mean, the security clearances got a lot of scrutiny, but some of that was simply the fascination with Jared Kushner the son in law Is that something that really uh, rises to the level of defining
11: uh, a a crisis at the White House? I think the defining crisis at the White House is the Russia investigation, because that is the issue that has the greatest sense, the greatest long-term consequences ahead. And I think that is driving some of the sense of turbulence in the building.
5: Margaret, it was uh, a surprise to many on Capitol Hill, um, on Wall Street, and some within the White House when the president made this trade announcement at that cabinet room gathering. Uh, No one was quite prepared for him to unveil what he did. Why is that a surprise inside the same administration?
2: Right. And I think when you're talking about sort of defining issues, Russia is the biggest long-term pressure, but the biggest short-term development of the week, other than that NRA show the day before, was this move on tariffs, because when the president is trying to rush to expedite things around half of his own team or maybe two thirds of his own team, th- that shows. <laughs> That shows the possibility for real tumult and sort of a lack of control internally. And there is a, there is a major and ongoing disagreement inside the White House about whether these tariffs are going to be good or bad
5: for the economy, good or bad for consumers. And that puts Peter Navarro and Secretary Ross against Gary Cohn against the Treasury Secretary against the Secretary of State.
2: It certainly does. And in terms of ongoing stability, there is a the sense that Gary Cohn and a couple of other uh, of those figures um, uh, that they are going to try to help to stabilize things at a time when Hope Hicks's departure leaves the president vulnerable, when questions about Jared Kushner and how long he can remain in the job have unsettled, kind of that, that dynamic of family and trust that is so important for any president to have. I mean, look, it doesn't, whether Jared Kushner should have that portfolio is a different question from whether the president should be able to have his, a couple of close, trusted family or friends or confidants around or close by. To disrupt his own dynamic, which is part of what the president did by expediting uh, this, you know, aluminum announcement. Um, Before it
5: was figured out in detail.
2: Absolutely. Um, it's, It's disruptive. It is a campaign promise. He is following through on something he talked about. That's all true, but it is nonetheless disruptive.
5: And it caught a lot of Republican leadership by surprise. Absolutely. I mean, this isn't your typical pro-business
7: position. Not at all. I mean, the fact that you saw the Speaker's office pretty quickly say that uh, we hope the President sort of considers what this could mean uh, to see uh, guys like Orrin Hatch uh, and most of the Republican uh, lawmakers, at least that were reached in the wake of this, say that they have concerns about it. Uh, you know, that's, that's pretty telling. And, and it was a week where he, you know, once again... Uh, stuck it to members of his party, both by doing this and then to their face at that dramatic meeting at the White House where he told the majority whip, uh, a guy who, you know, took a bullet last summer and who's trying to enact changes in gun laws but wants to do it in a way that is uh, certainly more conservative, that one of the proposals he wants to handle uh, is not going to pass. On concealed carry. On concealed carry, and then says that, you know, uh, an assault weapons ban should be seriously considered, which is something that has been anathema to Republicans for the last 20 years or so. So, you know, just an incredible week. And the fact that we still don't see many Republicans sort of standing up to him and saying, hold on a second here. You know, you're the leader of this party. We have some principles. You're clearly not following them. Says a lot about how fearful they still are of him and the power that he can
2: yeah, we did exert see over the base. On those two issues, I think we did begin to see some Republicans push back and say, "Oh you'll reconsider this or, um, well, uh, you know, I'm not really sure that will work.
7: Yeah, but you know, words is one thing, and, and you know, are they going to take votes against him? Are they going to block mm-hmm. legislation he wants from getting a vote, which they very well could do? Uh, you know, that would be that would be bolder, certainly.
5: Do you think, Jeff, that there's going to be an implication for congressional races over this? flexibility or this you know, inability to pin the president down on what he's actually asking for or standing for on these issues?
3: Well, I mean, since no one knows what he's standing for at any given moment, I mean, we know at any given moment what he's standing for. We don't know if that moment will continue. Um, look, he, he does have a populist sense of where people's anger is, right? And, and if he can convince people that what he's doing is preventing America from being suckered by allies and adversaries alike on trade, then uh, he, he might actually do well on that. On the gun issue, it's a little bit harder, but I, I, I don't have much uh, expectation that anything really is going to shift on guns at the end of the day. Um, his base is his base, and he's going he's to coddle his base, uh, and the Republicans on the Hill are going to be very, very scary. Hey,
11: it's, his, it's his party now. You know, Republicans on the Hill may think it's their party. It's not. If you look at issues like attitudes toward Russia or free trade or fiscal discipline – this is a party that has been redefined by Donald Trump, and it, it's, it may not be a majority party. Yeah. It may not be good for Republicans who have to run down the ballot in November, yeah. but tr- Donald Trump now defines what it's, the GOP it's is. It's so
3: interesting. I was on the Hill this week, and I ran into a Republican senator, and we were talking for a few minutes about some of these broader foreign policy issues. I mean, this is a week, remember, in which Vladimir Putin announced that he has a new invincible missile that can use to attack Florida. Um, China's leader just just became an absolute dictator for life, Mm -hmm. praised, of course, by the president by President Trump, um, in which the intelligence community has said that openly now that the president is not supporting their efforts to combat Russian meddling. And, 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 and I, this is a senator I know has strong feelings about all of those issues and not Trump's feelings. Um, but he said, you know, what, what's the use of me going out and, and saying uh, these things uh, when when everyone knows that the party is his party, the yeah. best thing to do is embrace him. to to, to embrace him and try to shift the the dialogue a little bit rather than go out and publicly excoriate. You saw what happened to Jeff Flake when you go out and publicly excoriate.
7: And, and Margaret, if they don't understand the foreign policy, voters are certainly going to start to pick up on all the other things that are going on across the government. Look at what else has happened in the last few weeks while we've been focused on West Wing drama. You have three cabinet secretaries facing questions about their spending habits, whether that's Ben Carson and the $30,000 hutch he wanted to buy for his office.
3: 31000 31000 Sorry, okay. fact-checked. Okay. Sorry. <laughs>
7: <laughs> you have the VA secretary and the EPA administrator spending tens of thousands of dollars on first-class travel, not only between D.C. and New York, but D.C. and Europe. And then you've got a brain drain going on of the State Department. The top North Korea specialist left this week. And you have a Pentagon now being forced to spend at least $30 million on a Veterans Day parade they don't want. All these things are going to start to sort of snowball in addition to the world problems. And if they don't get bothered by what the president's doing and the changes he's making in the party's ideology, they might just look at government, run amok, and go, it's time to put some checks in. And
5: place. the U.S. ambassador to Mexico resigned. That's right. right. Uh, Jeff, going back to the foreign policy idea, though, uh, you were referencing there those comments and testimony by Admiral Rogers, yes, right, yeah, about yeah. saying basically the U.S. isn't prepared and not doing enough. Until the president
3: tells him to do something, he can't do And hasn't
5: right. given him the authority right. to do more pushback against Russian right. election meddling. He said Putin's been undeterred. Right. So... Right. That, those were deliberate comments made to that committee. What is he actually asking them to do?
3: <laughs> well, he, what, he, what he wants Trump to do. I mean, look, what, what we know un, underneath this is, is, that, is that the intelligence community is itching to fight back with, with Cyprus. I mean, we have plenty of ways, the American government has plenty of ways to not only defend but actually go on the offensive against um, piratical Cyber actors right um, and and you know the, the, from what I understand, the intelligence community and the defense establishment both are, are sitting there it 's dramatic, it sounds dramatic, but what they 're saying is that we are being attacked and we 're not defending, and they don 't go to to motive they don 't try to ascribe they don 't involve when, when they 're talking about this the Mueller investigation, but the implication is clear: the president has a soft spot for Putin just as he's shown he has a soft spot for Xi, the Chinese leader, and for other autocrats. And they're, they're sitting there thinking that the world has gone upside down.
11: You know, it's interesting that we did a poll uh, about what's the top, USA Today Suffolk poll about what's the top issue affecting your vote in November? And we polled 1,000 registered voters, Five of them said Russia meddling okay. in the election. Not 5 percent, five individuals of the 1,000 we polled. And if you, if we had, the number one issue by far was the combination of school safety and guns. And mm-hmm. so when you had Mr. Policon, on, uh, you know, if you want to talk about a powerful political statement that could affect what happens in November, listen to him.
5: He talked about wanting to sort of join that march at the end of uh, next month. and saying this needs to be more inclusive and redirected towards school safety. Is that where we're seeing the White House shift now? No more gun safety, it's about hardening schools.
2: I mean, the when President Trump gave these remarks a few days ago, these extraordinary remarks, he if you were a student, a parent, someone outside of Washington watching that, you would think the president is going to go to the mat for background checks possibly to raise the age, to take on the NRA, to do gun control. Uh, And what you've seen both behind the scenes and sort of publicly in the last few days is a real shift away from that position. I think the president, on the one hand, showed everybody in that moment that exactly what people who want those sort of limits were saying, that he actually has the capability, if he (laughs) really cared about it and wanted to stick with one or two of those issues, to possibly push those through. Uh, But to the extent that he doesn't immediately follow up on that, I think there's a potential for a a backlash um, against him and against Republicans in some potentially key districts. Not Not in a lot of places and not in certain primaries, but when it becomes general election time, It's dangerous to have sort of captured the emotions and hearts and minds of so many people who want that if you are not going to follow through on them, and I I think he, he may have taken a risk in doing that.
7: Important to remember, nothing is expected to happen on this, on the floor of the House or the Senate, until just before or after... Eastern You've got a two-week break there in the midst of Easter. So we're not looking at action until April, probably, if it ever comes, because MMA. there's no guarantee that it will. But to your point on school safety, mm-hmm. I was struck. I had an interview on Friday with Diane Feinstein, who of course, has spent most of the last 20 years pushing for an assault weapons ban and to have it renewed. She, repeatedly for the first time. We've had conversations like this after almost every shooting as she tries to push for the ban again has changed her argument slightly and said school safety is the number one issue here. I want to make sure that we are protecting schools. To hear someone like that even acknowledge that that is what the focus should be on and that's where they think there could be bipartisan agreement is telling and suggesting, yeah, maybe this time because of the students and the parents who so quickly and forcefully have spoken out, there's a chance something could happen.
5: Jeffrey, on the issue of North Korea, the president at the gridiron last night made a joke, sort of saying, yeah, I'm open to direct talks, (laughs) sort of, uh, of. about, you know, engaging Kim Jong-un directly. Mm -hmm. Um, This issue of North Korea seems to be dividing some within the national security uh, apparatus Mm. around the president. Is that what's behind the issues with H.R. McMaster?
3: Uh, I think there are a lot of things behind the issues with HR McMaster. I think this is one of them. Um, I think the problem with HR McMaster is that he's not empowered as a national security advisor. Um, you have a Secretary of Defense, Secretary of State, uh, who, by the way, would like to. We're going to have to keep Trump from doing this on North Korea. They, they're on one side, and, and it's a very divided administration.
5: Indeed. Last week, we reported on the UN's call for a ceasefire in Syria. That was ignored, and the Syrian pro-Assad forces have kept up the punishing assault on civilians in eastern Ghouta, that's just outside Damascus. On Friday, the U.N. High Commissioner for Human Rights said the assault likely included war crimes and potentially crimes against humanity. CBS News correspondent Seth Doan filed this report from Damascus. He was there under the supervision of the Syrian government.
1: Syrian and Russian forces are trying to strangle the mix of militant groups who have dug into the Damascus suburb, but they're also suffocating hundreds of thousands of civilians. Activists have released images from inside. The barrel bombs keep coming, this man said, there's nothing left. Destruction in eastern Ghouta is widespread, and more than 600 civilians, including about 150 children, are believed to have died in the last two weeks. Syrian soldiers are taking us to what is now the front line in this fight for eastern Ghouta. There in the distance, we could see the prize for Syrian forces, the rebel-held area they'd like to recapture to solidify control of the capital. This is one of the actual humanitarian corridors that has been set up. It is a pathway designed to allow civilians to flee eastern Ghouta and aid to get in. The UN has said the daily five-hour pause in hostilities is not long enough to effectively distribute aid. Fearful residents haven't crossed. And the patchwork of militant groups vying for power in eastern Ghouta leaves no clear negotiating partner. It's impossible for us to travel to the heart of Eastern Ghouta, so we reached one doctor by telephone. He told us his hospital was bombed, and he's been doing surgeries underground. What is most difficult for you?
7: Everything is most difficult. Most difficult for me to see my patients die, and I cannot do anything to help. Here
1: on the government side of this conflict, which is all we have access to, support for President Bashar al-Assad is strong. We keep hearing how after seven years of war, people are weary and just want this war ended. Rebels have fought back with what they have. Often it's mortars fired into neighborhoods that back the government. This man's house was just recently hit by mortars. He's asked us to come upstairs to see. You, say you were- We wondered what Safran Hamadeh thought about civilians trapped in eastern Ghouta. I don't worry about them, he told us. They hit my house. They are terrorists, not civilians. This is your son? How old? At a Damascus hospital, we met a man recovering from a rebel attack that killed his four-year-old son. Nihad Asaf is his doctor. It is-
6: very, very difficult to see any person who suffers from injury or uh, anything like that. Any person.
4: Either side. Either side.
1: It was a glimpse of humanity and civility in a conflict that's torn this country apart, killed hundreds of thousands, and displaced millions. <laughs> Amid all of that, civilians are forced to live with the consequences and find some way to cope.
5: That's Seth Doan reporting from Syria. I'm Margaret Brennan, and this has been Face the Nation. Today's guests were Senator Lindsey Graham and Senator Joe Manchin. Director of the Office of Trade and Manufacturing Policy, Peter Navarro, also joined us. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Allison Hawley. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com, and you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Face the Nation is also rebroadcast on our digital network, CBSN, at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. Eastern every Sunday.
0: It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Hey
4: everybody, John Stewart here. I am here to tell you about my new podcast, The Weekly Show, coming out every Thursday. We're going to be talking about the uh, election, earnings calls. What are they talking about on these earnings calls? We're going to be talking about ingredient to bread ratio on sandwiches. I know you have a lot of options as far as podcasts go, but how many of them come out on Thursday? Listen to the Weekly Show with Jon Stewart wherever you get your podcasts.
11: Here's a question always on the go. Yeah, you are. Now you can take CBS Mornings with you and we want to go. Wake up to your daily dose of news and interviews with today's leading figures in politics, business and entertainment in the CBS Mornings On The Go podcast. Available every weekday wherever you get your podcast.